Kiora, and welcome to Whispers of Grace, a place for women to be encouraged by God's holy word. I'm your host, Julie Colbeth, and I am overjoyed to dig into the Bible with you today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our Life of Moses series. This is episode number 16, and today we are going to be talking about the miraculous provision of manna and quail in the desert. Again, such an iconic moment in the book of Exodus. My husband and I really like to watch this show. It's called Alone. It's a survival show about the wilderness where they are completely isolated with no one around, and they have to last as long as they can. They had this 100-day challenge, whoever could last 100 days out in the wilderness, won a ton of money. And they could only choose 10 items to bring with them into the wilderness for survival. And those 10 items were incredibly important. But these people were in harsh environments where the winter would come through and it would be Arctic. There would be snow everywhere. It'd be really hard to find food. And they had to survive. Most of them went long periods without eating. The ones that were the best to watch knew how to push through failure. Because things happen, especially watching this show, you realize how much you take for granted in a modern world. But these people pushed through so many hardships through getting sick and hurting themselves and losing things and breaking things and losing animals that they almost caught. And it's heartbreaking sometimes to watch. But the ones that kept a positive attitude and keep going, those are the ones that end up winning. And they're also way more fun to watch because you have the other group that tend to be the complainers. They are always annoyed. They're throwing things and cursing out no one because they're in the middle of nowhere. But they are the ones that always end up burning out and have such a miserable time because they have such a bad attitude and they choose to complain about everything. Watching it this week with my husband just reminded me of the children of Israel and how complaining can just taint everything that you touch and everything that you do. We saw a little bit about that last week when we talked about the bitter waters of Mara and how God showed Moses a tree and told him to throw the tree into the bitter pools and make them sweet. We talked about how this is so symbolic of the cross, that if we throw the cross into our situations, into our bitterness, God provides a way for us to become sweet. So today we're going to pick up in a little bit of the same vein. Today's account, it kind of seems to relay the same information twice, but this is because we hear God's intent and plan that he hands off to Moses, and then it gets directed towards the children of Israel. So as I'm reading you can understand kind of why it's in there twice. So listen with me today and let's see what we can glean. This is Exodus chapter 16. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they departed from the land of Egypt, so this is one month since they left Egypt, Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you're complaining against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp in the morning, and that dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person, which they think is roughly a quart to a gallon. According to the number of persons, let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some, some gathered more and some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, Let no one leave any of it until morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. So now we see Israel being one month from their previous home, one month out of Egypt. So that means that their supplies are probably running out, if not already gone. And now they're coming to the point where they have to be sustained in the wilderness. They're no longer calling on the supplies that they have brought with them. But now they are completely changing over to be a people that is completely reliant on the Lord. And Israel does not handle this very well. Right from the beginning, they are complaining that they are hungry and they're asking for the Lord to kill them. Again, <laughs> if only we had died in Egypt, at least we had meat. The Israelites are so short-sighted because they're only concerned with feeding their bellies and they're focusing on their temporary loss. But God has promised to lead them into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. But because they can't see that yet, they don't believe it. And they focus on their struggle right now. This will be a theme 
that will come up again and again as the Israelites wander these 40 years in the desert. Yet, we see a faithful God that hears all of their grumbling and all of their complaining, and he is faithful still. Because Israel's knee-jerk reaction to being without, to having a need, is always to complain. The more we read into the section, the more we will see it. And a complaining heart just loves to find someone to blame. Don't we do that? When we find ourselves uncomfortable, we want to find out why. And we want to pin that blame on someone and we want to complain about it. It says that Israel complained against Moses and Aaron that they didn't have what they needed. But Moses was quick to redirect this complaint right to God. He says, why are you looking at us? You're not complaining against us. You're complaining against the Lord. I love that he was quick to redirect this complaint because that's exactly what it is. God was responsible for their provision and their protection. And the Hebrews needed to know that they were not complaining against Moses, the man. They were complaining against God. And yet, God was patient with these people, even though he had done so much in their past and promised them of this glorious future, he was patient with them. It is so easy to complain when things don't turn out the way that we hoped. When we face disappointments, we ask why. And here, the people, they would rather know for sure where their next meal was coming from and be enslaved than to wait on God for his provision. Israel was willing to sacrifice their freedom and the promise of an abundant future for the assurance of a good meal. This reminds me so much of Esau, who was willing to trade his birthright as the firstborn son for a bowl of stew because he was so hungry. And Jacob knew that very moment to tempt him with food. And he would throw away something so important like his birthright. So this just led me to a really practical moment. Try not to make important decisions when we're hungry or hormonal or exhausted because we can become so irrational when we are physically compromised. Our temporary uncomfortable state can disrupt our thinking and cause us to make crazy decisions. How often have I snapped at my kids or my husband when I'm hungry or when I'm super hot or uncomfortable or I'm physically compromised somehow? Or when we're sick, we can just be miserable to be around. When we are physically compromised, it's usually not when we're very kind or wise about our decisions. So we should try not to make important decisions in those states. But how often when I've been hormonal, do I want to make life-changing decisions or come to conclusions that seem crazy? And then a few days later, I look back on it and think, wow, you were just, you were out there. So this is just a reminder to all of us, don't make big, important decisions if you can avoid it when you're hungry or you're hormonal or you're exhausted. Wait, sleep on it, pray on it, take some time and don't jump to any conclusions. Because Israel, they were willing to sacrifice the future of their children to feel secure. And I say feel in quotation marks because they still had the pillar of cloud and fire They still had the promises of Jehovah God and his very presence, not to mention their recent past experiences, which were littered with miracles. But 
They overrode all of those realities because they were feeling compromised. They were feeling hungry. They were feeling uncomfortable. To be without, to lack, to be uncomfortable, it can feel enraging. We feel vulnerable and it can be terrifying sometimes. It can make us want to run or fight or freeze in indecision. It's frustrating. Our flesh despises powerless situations. We avoid thinking about it. We get busy finding solutions or we scheme and strive and hustle until we wear thin and we become short-tempered and isolated. Irritability can easily take us over. We can snap at those closest to us and we push God away by becoming too busy to slow down and hear his voice. This is when faith comes in, because when we are feeling compromised and overwhelmed and uncomfortable, we need to rely on what God has said is true and not trust our feelings and not trust our emotions or our bellies that are saying it would have been better for our children to be slaves. At least we'd have dinner on the table. That's not rational. It's not logical. But faith, it's not always sitting on our hands and praying for a miracle. Hard work is good. Problem solving is good. God has made us as creative thinkers with minds and abilities, but we can easily overuse and abuse these powers of ours and forget God, our maker. We can drown out his voice with our hustle and we can distance him with our focus. It is very easy to lose God in the process when we are lacking something or feeling in want we struggle and strive to fill that want sometimes and we can drown out his voice because we don't make time to quiet ourselves to hush all of the inner voices that are freaking out and hear his still small voice sometimes i find myself just running on autopilot trying to escape being uncomfortable is that you today I know it's been me lots of times. We can spend so much time trying to avoid our current situation that we're willing to sacrifice our future for comfort and for assurance. But the good news is that God is so faithful. He is so patient. He loves us and he is waiting for us. Verse 7 reminds us, it says, In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your complaints against the Lord. So God heard them. He heard their complaints. He hears you. He sees our need. Think sometimes we feel like he's forgotten us because the answers aren't coming quickly. But God heard them. He knew. And the glory of the Lord was going to be seen. His patience and his provision. His mercy and his goodness, even amidst a complaining and short-sighted people that were acting like his enemies. These people were rising up, ready almost to kill Moses and Aaron because they were so angry. But God was so gracious. And that is Jesus. Jesus went to the cross to redeem the people that were still his enemies. He is faithful when we are faithless. We could never earn this kind of faithfulness. We could never work to earn the kind of patience and love and compassion that our God shows to us. He provides again and again and again. And here he provides in the midst of Israel's mess and in the midst of their complaining. 
He provides for them over and over and over again. Because God gave them meat and bread. Verse 13 says, So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. I read a little bit about these quails. And when they would fly long journeys, they would get too tired to fly anymore. And they would land in the desert and not even be able to lift themselves. So not only did he provide meat, but he provided an easy meal for them to go around and collect these quail. The other interesting thing is that these quail were a delicacy to the Egyptians. So here these people are dreaming about the food that they used to eat, the meat in the pots and how they used to have bread to the full and all of this bounty and beautiful things. And God sends them in the desert, the delicacies that they were so craving, these tiny little quail. He could have punished them, but instead he lovingly provides. What a God. Like they, they didn't deserve any of this. They were complaining. They were a mess. But God chose to give them good things and not just stale, boring things. He gave them tasty, delicious things because that's how good our God is. Verse 14 says, And then a layer of dew lifted, and there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So the children of Israel saw it and said to one another, What is it? And Moses told them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. So now they have this bread that is literally coming down from heaven. It is sometimes called angel's food in the Bible. And it's about the size of a sesame seed. And it had to be swept into piles, picked up, ground up, and then baked into these little small cakes. Jewish legend tells us that the Israelites could sweep up the manna off their desert floor and it wouldn't have dirt in it. These legends say that when God sent the manna, he first sent a strong north wind to sweep the floor of the desert and then a rain to wash it clean. And then the manna descended on a clean ground. What a cool legend. I don't know if it's true or not, but there's another Jewish legend that says, one only had to desire a certain dish and no sooner had he thought of it then manna had the flavor of the dish desired. The same food had a different taste to everyone who partook of it. According to his age, to the children it tasted like milk, to the youths like bread, to the old men like honey, and to the sick like barley steeped in oil and honey. But they also wrote that the manna was bitter in the mouth of a Gentile. So how cool those legends that just provide those tiny little details that may or may not be true, but give us a picture into God's heart. Isn't it God's heart to sweep the desert floor clean so he could provide them bread or to give them manna that would taste like anything that their hearts desired? I think we forget sometimes that God desires to give good gifts to his children. I know that's been me lots of times. I feel like if I'm not suffering, I'm not holy. And there is a lot of suffering in our life. We've talked about that heaps. We've all experienced it. But God desires to give good gifts to his children. And here, even in the midst of their complaining and yelling at Moses and Aaron, God provides them with good things, tasty things. Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3 says this, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you, in order to know what was in your heart, 
whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What a good reminder. And it tells us right here why God is doing things the way that he was. Letting them get to the point of exhaustion. Letting them get to the point of being so hungry and thirsty that they had to cry out for God. It says here in Deuteronomy that he did this to teach them that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He was trying to teach his children, to teach his people, that the practical provisions that come into our lives are not what is important. It's the hand of the giver who gives us the gift. It's being intimately acquainted with him. It's learning to walk in relationship with the provider, with the living waters, with the bread of life. We get so distracted on the bread and the water and the gifts, and we forget the giver. God was trying to refocus Israel, not to focus on the provision or the the holy manna and the quail or the water from a rock or any of the numerous miracles that he's created. Those miracles were always there to point back to God, to Jehovah, to Yahweh, the God who was with them, the I am, to point to him, to show who he is. Nature is the same way when we look around and we look at the beauty that's around us, how the seasons come and go, the weather and the changes and the plants and the animals and all the beautiful things around us. Those things are supposed to point us to God to help us to get to know our maker just a little bit more. And back in our section in Exodus, I love in verses 17 and 18, it tells us, So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. I would imagine that some families had more hands and more able people and could gather more, and some people didn't. Maybe they had elderly relatives that they were caring for, or they had situations that were difficult, but they would send who they could to gather in the morning before the sun came and melted it, and they would gather, and God made sure that if they went out and they gathered, that they had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Again, a beautiful God putting them in a place of need because he wanted to do more than just meet the need. He was teaching them eternal lessons about himself. Our compassionate and patient God, he is the one who restored Peter. Even though Peter denied him three times in the midst of his enemies and Jesus knew says that Peter and Jesus' eyes connected at one point, and Jesus knew that one of his closest best friends was saying that he never knew him. But God restored him with patience and love. I think of Saul, who turned into Paul, who was literally killing Christians, persecuting them, was full of arrogance. He was a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And God took time 
to find this man where he was, to humble him, to restore him, and to use him. Our God, our patient God, he is so good and compassionate with us. He calls tax collectors and prostitutes and thieves and manipulators and drug addicts. Those are the people that we are. And this compassionate, wonderful God wants to make himself known to us day after day. Are we making ourselves too busy trying to provide, trying to fill our needs, trying to satisfy our desires, that we are missing him? It is so easy to be lulled to sleep by this world and all of the things that want to pull us in, the entrapments all around us, all the shiny things can distract us from God who wants to meet our needs in intimate ways, in ways that will point to him. Are we too busy hustling and worrying or trying to provide the perfect holiday experience or the perfect dinner party or be the perfect PTA parent? or the one that has all the answers, or whatever we're trying to do? Are we trying to accomplish something so hard that we're so distracted that we don't see the hand of our God? We need to humble ourselves and come back to the one who can give bread from heaven, who can provide delicious delicacy of quail dropped at your front door, because that's the God that we serve. He wants us to know him that intimately. He wants us to trust him. And here with the Israelites, he was teaching them yet again that he would be the God that would provide for them. Even though they had seen him do tons of miracles, the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea and making those bitter waters sweet, they had seen his hand over and over again. He was there in a pillar of cloud and in that pillar of fire, but he was always making one more moment so that they could see him so that they could experience his goodness. He wants that for you today. He wants us to be intimate with him, to know his heart, to see his beauty, and to experience his glory and his grace. But we need to make space for that. If we keep ourselves so busy and running around and we don't find quiet to sit and meditate and contemplate who he is and be in his word, We will miss him. We will miss his hand of provision. We will miss his heart. And there is nothing more precious to be experienced on this earth than the heart of Jesus. So I would encourage you, take some time. Slow yourself down. Find a quiet place where you can journal or speak or pray or worship out all the things that are in your heart and find yourself in a quiet place where he can meet you because he so desires to lavish his love on you. He is a patient and good God. I pray that you would find time to spend with him this week. Mm -hmm.